0: Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest in the Side Up podcast series. My name is Paul Gibson. I'm the VP of International at Demandbase, and I'm really looking forward to what I know will be another great episode. As we all know, the arrival of COVID has changed the world across industries. And indeed, I've seen for myself the way B2B sales and marketing teams have had to embrace digital technologies to overcome the lack of field events, trade shows and face-to-face meetings. And of course, working from home has really changed the dynamic of so many of the roles. And therefore, I'm really excited today. Today's guest is one of those experts who's had to understand a lot of the challenges and opportunities companies have faced in these unusual times, especially within the public sector and equally been responsible for finding some of the necessary solutions. And therefore, it's a great pleasure. I'd like to introduce today's special guest, Joe Powell, who's a 20 plus year sales leader veteran in the communication and tele technology industry. Joe's something of an evangelist for the benefits of evolving technology and the tangible transformation this can bring to all organisations in delivering their vision. Having engaged with public sector and enterprise organisations in the UK and globally, Joe says it's not uncommon to see organisations trapped by the wrong technology. And Joe's passion is to ensure that she really understands the customers' priorities, their challenges, and the problems they're trying to solve, and the value they wish to deliver, because only when these elements are shared and understood can technology truly help change an organisation and a sector uh, vertical indeed. Tech is fun, tech is great, but now we're seeing tech is truly changing and saving lives, and this is a very exciting time of change especially in the public sector. So welcome, Joe. it's great to have you here today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: Nice to be here, Paul.
0: Brilliant, okay, so Joe, as I said up at the beginning, we've all experienced massive change in the last couple of years with COVID, et cetera. So I'd love to start, I think, by asking you, when you look, and I suppose with a particular slant at public sector, how do you see the world has changed?
1: I think we've seen a lot of acceleration and that's good because we've seen where we cannot follow the normal processes. So normal processes of setting out a strategy, particularly in public sector and, and setting out what are the budgets for the next X amount of years and when will we do that. That's been thrown right out of the window because it's had to. And I think it's back to one of those things that I'm passionate about. It's had to because of the need, which is focusing on what do we need to do? to carry on from a public sector perspective, serving the citizens, the people out there that need the services. We have to continue with the services. So how do we have our employees do that? And that has been by, by leveraging technology in the right way and deploying technology and actually smashing some of those myths and, and working practices that have been around, perhaps more in public sector than in perhaps the, the private sector in, in recent years, where if you couldn't be seen in the office, you weren't actually at work. And the thoughts of people working remotely was uh, often frowned upon and seen as as we can't control them because we can't see them. I think this has actually forced different ways of working and seen that that it's about delivery. It's about outcomes and results and that people can still deliver outcomes and results, even if you can't see them sitting at a desk in the office. And I think that's been a dramatic change. It's accelerated some organisations by not just two years, but by five years and and beyond. And some of the technology that's been deployed out there, some evangelists in those organisations have been trying to drive that kind of project for years and have never got the traction. But they kind of said that something that we've had on the table for three years happened in, in a month. Because we have to do it. And that's, I think, the good side, because now they're leveraging the benefits of that and they're, they're delivering services and the people are working in different ways, but still delivering.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I think you're right. So many things have changed and, and a lot of it's come down to trust, right? So we, we our team yeah. is completely remote now, but I have complete faith that the team that I'm working with are doing everything they can in the right way. And I don't, as you say, I don't have to see them every day in front of me to believe that. So I think you're right on that point. And I suppose change in many ways is always destined to happen. But it's probably fair to say that this has been massively accelerated by COVID. Is that your viewpoint? And if you have any thoughts around that?
1: Oh, it has been massively accelerated by COVID. And I think some of the ideas that have been floating around of how technology could do something in particular verticals, but has never been tried. It's always been the old way Has had to be accelerated because that's the only way you can do things. So if you look at, say, the vaccine programs that happened in the UK, that you couldn't rely on a paper-based kind of scenario and process to try and achieve what had to be achieved in the timelines. It just wasn't possible. You wouldn't have enough people on the ground to be able to do that and hit those timelines and get that going. So only by... By looking at what tech can bring and getting tech in the hands of the medical professionals at the front end could you actually drive something at the pace that it had to be driven at and make sure that you could track all of that information because we really had to know as a country not just about the numbers and and almost what became <laughs> and still is perhaps that kind of egotistical look where our numbers are kind of that here's the european league tables. it wasn't about that it's about who needs to be vaccinated first? Because who's vulnerable? And then when do we need to do them again? And if you had a bunch of paper-based processes and the usual format of files and record keeping, you wouldn't have been able to know. So you could actually be be losing that the, the timescales of, of vaccinating people at the right time, but also with the right vaccine. So <laughs> you had to make sure that some people had the right vaccine. And it's the same when you look at the booster program that certain people shouldn't necessarily have certain vaccines and they were making sure that, that they did do that. Well, if you're relying on paper-based, you can't always be certain. So part of when you look at using technology and it deploying there, it really did make a measurable difference. It's a measurable difference for speed and agility of doing something and getting a program out. But also you're de-risking it by making sure that you haven't got people replicating manually information that can then always be subject to human error because humans are only human but if that information goes in once and then it's visible and accessible from multiple sources for when the next person needs it it's in once so that de-risking as well as the speed
0: yeah that's really interesting and we all look at the media telling us everyone's going to get vaccinated and they're all going to get their boosters and you've got to get it done and we just think oh okay i'll just go along and get it done you don't think about all of the the time consuming effort that goes in, and you're right, a lot of technology has has definitely enabled that. Mm. Um, that. Yeah, it's a really good good insight there. So obviously, a lot of these changes have been pretty major. I think one we've noticed is is how everything from roles to events have become much more of a hybrid thing. Do you have any thoughts around that evolution and how things have changed in that in that way?
1: Yeah, because I think we all got probably by, you know, we went into sort of in the UK into that lockdown in March, you know, 2020. I'm losing, you lose track of years in the end. Don't you, no, you're not no. really quite sure what year you, you're in. But then I think by May, I don't know whether you were and other people listening were, but I know I was fed up of, join this webinar. Here's a webinar. Let's have another webinar. It was, it was like webinar spam. And webinars had, always had their place, you know, and their part to play and still do. But in effect, I think people were jaded really, really quickly because that was a one element that would fit into how you gather information and other elements are obviously go seeking it yourself. But being in face-to-face events and gatherings and going to conferences and, and hearing keynote speakers, and but in the flesh and people being able to engage and having networking events So the mix was there, but when it was full on what I call broadcast mode, where (laughs) to a certain degree, it's irrelevant whether you're there or not really, it's happening. People started to get less and less from that. So when it comes to how do you engage people and they're remote, and as we move forward, we'll be looking at how do you do that in a hybrid manner that means that people are engaged and you've got to have the technology Right as well so that people can engage and it might be about how you leverage the numbers, how you perhaps informalize some of the content so that it is not a full broadcast to encourage that debate because you want people to engage because that's where you actually get the more interesting dialogue from rather than just preaching at people because you never know how the story is landed. And it's funny because one of the projects I work on is is around 5G acceleration and how 5G as a transport medium can play a part in all sorts of industries. And 5G is more of a, it's really going to be more about that B2B and industry driving and, and sector changing than perhaps some of the Gs that came before, which were very much around consumer. But looking at how you can have a hybrid so that when somebody goes to an event and is there in person, the people who can't be there because of potentially Maybe that they're in, you know, they can't go there for health reasons, can't physically travel to something, or they they don't want to because they're protecting their health. But also, maybe they're in another country and they want to join and you want that wider audience of a conference. How do you get the feel? And part of that is making sure that the remote audience can engage with each other and get that feel of being at an event in the virtual way. And some of that is using. AI and visual technologies in a different way and that some of that is very early stages at the moment but that really is what's been explored at the moment to do that because it's not going to change right the way back nothing is going to change right the way back so how do we how do we do that and technology has a great part to play in bringing people together to get that feel and vibe that when you're sat at your desk If it's a business conference, you're not distracted by email because you have an experience that's as close as it can possibly get to being there in person and that you're having that feeling with other people who are remote as well. So I think that's something that will evolve and evolve very quickly in different formats, not just in that public sector or business thing, but when you look at at concerts and sporting events and those kind of things, how do you get that, that fan feeling? that I was there feeling because it's tangible. We all know that when we've been to a we've been to a concert, you get that feeling, you get that vibe, and you're you're sharing the moment with strangers uh, next to you. You get up and dance with strangers next to you because that's that's the vibe that's coming and and it's how do you do that in that hybrid world as well. How do you get that feeling? Because that's the whole point of a live event. Otherwise, you just put on a a recording of a concert and it's never the same watching what was live music, but the being there feeling. So that's something that it's really one to watch and sort of dip your toe into in the coming months and years, because that is going to change rapidly.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And there's a really interesting, I think it was an interview, a a vlog rather than the podcast, but with uh, Mark Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse. And that's one of the things he highlighted, you know. How do we use technology to get that feel that you're at an event, mm. be it holograms or whatever it is and the VR experience and, and actually putting on a pair of glasses and feeling like you're at an event and all that. So I think, yeah, there's a lot that uh, is going to evolve over the next two and three years. And and he, he certainly felt in the next three years, they'd be massive advancements yeah. there so yeah I think I think the world has changed but I think there's lots more change to come so yeah that's...
1: it's about the reality feeling of it as well not exactly. not what I call fake fun because we all sniff out fake fun you know yeah. you're here to have fun yeah no one wants to be told they're there to turn up and have fun you have to feel it gotta feel it to happen
0: yeah no absolutely great point so to, to moving things on then, so we you hear businesses uh, are buying technology that really makes a difference. And I think there's a good term around at the moment, technology for good. Mm-hmm. So this is something we hear a lot. I'm assuming you do as well. And can you give me some of your thoughts, maybe expand on that idea a bit?
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that has accelerated in that COVID era of how do we look after it? And a big focus is around that healthcare care and that social care as well. Because more and more people need that social care element, need support in their homes and people actually are happier in their home environment. They don't want to be in a hospital. They don't always want to go into a a formal home environment. But when you look at the adult social care world, there just isn't enough physical resource all the time to look after everyone that needs it and also make that feel like a quality engagement and experience because a big part of someone having a care-type person or a medical-type person come to to engage with them is to do, perhaps it might be to do their, their blood pressure and to check some of those measurements and to check their medication. Well, one thing is that you can now, and what we're looking at is doing that remotely in a way that doesn't involve the person, the patient, being a medical expert but having the technology set up so all of that can be monitored remotely and proactively monitored in a way so if there is a is a change in a reading if somebody's heart goes into a, a VFib world i'm not a medical expert but there are certain triggers and patterns that that triggers a reaction it triggers an action at a what would be known as a control center and a monitoring thing. And and when you play the technology of the monitoring at the front end with the person, the patient, and add in algorithms and AI that will pick those things up quicker than an infinite amount of, of human beings can, that then tells the human being that says, right, okay, right, we need to, we need to take proactive intervention. Let's get hold of that person. Can we get hold of that person? Actually, this has gone to critical. Let's get an ambulance there. And that's a huge thing to be able to do. But the flip side of that is not just their health, but when you think about people's mental health, happiness and welfare, that you can have that virtual carer 3D kind of AI in the room. That's some of the stuff that's been worked on at the moment, where they sit down and have a chat with Susan or with John. Because actually, some of the time that plays a massive part in the well being of that individual. It's the chat of the physical contact, not just the monitor my vitals and, and give me my medication, but it's actually where have you been? Oh, what have you done? Oh, isn't the weather nice? And it might be the same conversation every time, but it doesn't matter because it makes such a measurable difference to that individual. And they can then, the technology can then have, have people dropping in and doing that on a regular basis all the time and that's huge in how we can deal with what is a a massive amount of people who are potentially isolated and aren't seeing anybody and there just aren't enough feet on the ground to be going out and doing that and this is something that's always been in a where does it fall does it fall in the NHS when people have, have come out of hospital how do we get people out of hospital and then it's into the local authority neither of those bodies have got enough people on the ground So leveraging technology to support that and make sure that we really are looking after people's whole person, that is definitely technology for good, in my opinion. And I think the other side of it, when you think about in that hospital environment as well, is a lot of people who are broken at the moment. You know, let's face it, anyone that works in there is working within an inch of surviving their own sanity and physical well-being. But they're looking after other people and they will make mistakes so where technology can be there to help them and you're thinking about things with technology that's got a patient's information and medication in details there so that whoever gives them the medication, it is controlled and checked because you can use barcoding against the patient record to ensure you're giving them the right medication. Because time and time again, and it always this is the terrible stuff that makes the headlines. You hear about people who, sadly have died or ended up in a terrible situation because somebody who was probably really tired or really distracted gave them the wrong dose of medication. And if you have a a technology intervention there, it provides consistency to protect the patient, but also to protect the people who are there working, the, the medical staff. And it saves a lot of that paperwork, which means that actually those people can get around more patients. So if one medical resource if a nurse or a doctor can get around more patients and spend more time with patients that is the kind of outcome that we want and that's where technology can make a measurable difference and it's being deployed there's some of this out there at the moment and that people are measuring how many staff members impact that means that they can actually get those staff in the right places now by leveraging the right technology and having those records just doing what the record should do than in the digital format.
0: Yeah. That, and, and how topical was that conversation? I mean, NHS is on the news all the time and all mm. the pressures that people are under in the hospitals or, as you say, social care, whatever it may be. And maybe that is the answer. It is technology and, and this virtual world that we're all thinking is going to arrive at some point may be the thing that takes the pressure off that. So Interesting to see. And and I really loved your insight around that. This is really great stuff, Joe. And I'm really enjoying the conversation. Um, Just moving on slightly, one of the things that's always been associated, I think, maybe unfairly, but with the public sector is the speed at which things change. And you did touch on it right at the very beginning. Often it's driven by a committee who spends so much time digging into the minutiae of every element, nothing actually gets done. Do you think COVID has, has had a really effective impact on that?
1: Oh, massively! Because it was more about what has to be done to keep the services running. So there was almost like the accelerated, you know, steroid-fueled deploy, deploy, get people out there, keep those services running, and a level of agile that hadn't been seen in most most. Take the local authorities; hadn't been seen in most local authorities kind of setups we're not running in that way it's about having a long term strategy and that would be signed off by committee and we want to do x y and z well that has to go back to committee and there's nothing in the budget that's been pulled that's been delayed and actually that world means that a lot of technology that was that ended up being deployed was probably the wrong technology by then because life had changed and how they work would be changing so that then becomes technology for technology's sake not what do we need to do? Why? Why are we doing that? And how, therefore, how will we do it? So that had to go a lot of that. So there was this, like, real, it may be seen as maverick in the cold light of day, but I don't think we've got to the point of cold light of day yet, because this isn't over yet, is it? Let's be fair. So people just did what they had to do, and then would be getting sign-off and I think what then needs to catch up is the governance procedure in all those public sector bodies. So that governance committees things that needs to be re-looked at so that that then changes like deployments have changed, like strategies have changed. And it's aligned to being able to deploy the right thing at the right time rather than going backwards, taking the organisations backwards to still have this long drawn out committee. Yes, they're spending public money. Yes, it shouldn't be fritted away. But even more so, it should be doing the right things at the right time, in the right time frame, not shying away from making a decision by dragging a committee on and on and on and on. Because that's what we've seen in the past. So I know a lot of the local authorities I've engaged with have sort of said, we've done this. We did that in two weeks That was a two-year deployment project. We did it in two weeks. And the word is, wow, that's amazing. Because for them, that means you can do it. So what's going to change moving forward? So that's definitely the piece that's going to change, which is that committee, that governance as well. And how do do they work their strategies moving forward? Because so many of them are kind of like, well, now we've got all these buildings and all these desks for all these people that don't come in. There's so much, uh, for want of a better word, real estate that's <laughs> built bricks and water out there that that's empty. So how how do they change and align the strategy? And that's what a lot of local authorities are doing at the moment and public sector bodies, which is looking at what fits to support their services at the moment and getting that in their strategy and getting their governance committees and stakeholders bought into that to be able to operate in a different way. That may take a little bit of time. And I think there's going to be a little bit of reluctance as well because you're spending public money and that will always be the strap line at the end of it. We've got to have the checks and balances and there should be the checks and balances. But checks and balances shouldn't mean delays of years. It doesn't have to be that way. And that's really, I think, the next bit of brutal push and pull that is going on at the moment to catch up as well a lot of the organisations said our admin will need to catch up because maybe there was due diligence that wasn't done that would usually be done and that's what a lot of them have been looking at in the last sort of 12 months to be perfectly honest but I said hats off to every one of them that I sat down and had conversations with I said I am so impressed to be able to use the word agile with your organization it's great it's fantastic
0: Yeah, yeah. And and really relevant. And again, we, you know, we say it in the sales and marketing side of things at the moment, lots of people who were digging their heels, you know, had to pull them kicking and screaming into the digital world. Suddenly, everything shut down, right? There was no field events, no trade shows, no face to face meetings. But you still had to find these opportunities to feed the sales team. And so it really has changed the game and accelerated a lot of things, I think, for sure. Joe, I've really loved this conversation so far today, and I'm sure there's plenty for us to revisit and a whole other future podcast. But one one thing further to delve into end today's session, I think there was always a feeling that the number of hours worked equated to success. Mm. And this is something that no doubt has completely changed with COVID. It's not least due to everyone working from home and, the, and those offices you spoke about being empty. Can you talk to me about your thoughts around this?
1: Yeah, it is about outcomes. And I think there's been more perhaps uh, wider thinking now about outcomes because more and more people actually who've always been on what would be deemed as your contract says you must be in the office or whatever, pushing back and saying, well, I don't think so because I have delivered. I delivered. And yes, I did it by being able to not leave my children at the school gate, you know, waiting for social services to pick them up because I wasn't there. I was able to do that too and still deliver. Because some things don't have to be done in that, what is deemed that kind of 9 to 5.30 window. A lot of engagements have to be done then, but a lot of the support, the preparation work, the follow-up work doesn't have to be done. In daylight hours, for want of a better term, that can be done when it suits the individual. And I think that there hasn't been the drop-off results that maybe people would have thought if they weren't used to that way of working I'm really lucky I come from a an industry and a background that is always been around being that maverick work from home kind of person where everybody I knew used to think I was sit, sitting watching this morning and various other daytime programs but there's more of an understanding now and, and I see that generally in the in my non-work environment with people who weren't in that world who kind of they started using you know different verbs oh I'm zooming at one or uh, you know <laughs> it's that kind of thing but there's definitely more push and I think in all you know in industries where there's really big active unions the unions are getting involved in this to say well it doesn't have to be this way there should be a balance and part of that balance is driven about the welfare of the individuals Because I think a lot of people suffered. And I think that's the thing that needs to be caught. There needs to be a real good safety net on catching people before they they really truly fall. Because many people didn't cope well with being alone or aren't coping awfully well with being alone. So they do need that touch point of the choice of being able to come in and meet with colleagues and engage with colleagues as well. But not in a rigid enforced framework kind of way. And uh, I think... The more that this has gone on, I think if this had gone on and we were done by September 2020, there wouldn't perhaps be as much change and people may have been forced back into working the way they've worked. Because we are now way down the line, there's going to be permanent change. And I think any organisation that digs their heels in and says, no, no, we are going back to that world, is probably going to lose a lot of employees because employees feel empowered, because they know that they can work in a different way that suits them, and it suits their personal life as well. Because everybody works for various reasons, but generally they have a life outside they're working to support, and it is absolutely the blend. And instead of that you know, work-life balance just being a strapline that's often used by a lot of organizations, but not necessarily supported, People really do want to leverage that and make sure they've got a work-life balance. But they're actually delivering more. And I think with a lot of people, if you counted the hours, if, if an organization wanted to count the hours a person was working, it would be much more, much more than it would have been if you were counting them into the office and counting them out of the office. But they're doing it at different times. And just because people are doing it at different times doesn't mean they're not doing because you can see it by results. So measure it by outcomes has got to be how all organizations start to look at what employees are doing. Are projects getting delivered? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter if people feel it's best for them to work in the middle of the night because that's when they're up. Because actually that's when their newborn baby's awake. So they are working them because that works for them. And they're happier. They're less stressed. That means people are able to deliver. So there has to be that change of mindset part of that is you have to look after the whole of the, the employee because that's how you get the most out of them. I think often there has been perhaps less attention paid to the value of having an employee that is very efficient and, and does deliver and knows your organization and absolutely gets things done. Those people are so valuable to an organization. They can't afford to let them go. And I think we're seeing that, that the jobs market is actually livened up like it hasn't been alive for quite a long time so people will walk if an organization doesn't support what their employees want and as long as they're delivering.
0: Yeah absolutely our office closed over here in in our London office closed at the start of Covid and it hasn't reopened Mm. but we've exceeded all of our goals and objectives ever since that case yes. that situation occurred so yeah it proves the point I think there comes a point as you said where that's social interaction we're social beings right we, we are. need to get to spend time together yeah and that's the bit that's missing as and when we do we can we try to get together as a team but yeah, yeah absolutely I think the world has changed and the thing in the US called the big resignation where lots of people are sitting back and saying I can reassess now what work means to me and, and you're right that work-life balance just changes a lot for a lot of people. So yeah. yeah, really interesting conversation.
1: I think people are a bit feel empowered to do that as well because they know they yeah. delivered. So they'll go where they can work in a way that's, that suits them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Joe, this, this has been fascinating and there's some really interesting stuff that I'm sure anyone who listens to this podcast will get benefits from. A couple of last things just for the listeners, if I may. Would you mind recommending a resource, be that a book, a blog or a website that you think would be really good for people to follow?
1: Well, it's one that's been, for me, it's a book about a person that's pretty well known. It's one that's been around for a while, but I think it's worth anybody having a listen to. I didn't read this book, I actually had it on audio driving up and down the motorways of the UK when I used to do a lot of that. It was that compelling that I'd sit in a car park while it was still going on. So that's how compelling it is, which is start with why, Simon Sinek, because I think people think. That's how they go about doing things in their organizations in their job in how they engage you know in sales in how they engage with customers, you know organizations in how they decide what they're going to do next, be that a technology or a different process, they think they do, but if they don't, they're going to come unstuck because it should always be, why are we doing this? why is that happening? What do we want to change, how do we want to work, what do we want to achieve? And then we will do it with what and how we will do it, not start with what we're going to do and how and forgetting why you think you're doing it. And I think it's a message. It doesn't get tired in re-listening to. That's what I would go with.
0: Yeah, it's a great recommendation. He's a great speaker as well. I don't know if yeah. you ever watched any of his Podcast, but he just draws you in the way mm. he, he explains things. I think is, is excellent.
1: That's why I ended up in so many car parks, continuing to listen. Yes, <laughs> when I
0: needed absolutely. to get out of the car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And last but not least, if anyone listens to the podcast is keen to reach out, if you're okay to do so, how mm. would they best contact you?
1: Oh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the yes, yes,
0: yeah. Brilliant, Joe. This has been an excellent podcast. I really enjoyed your time today. Really interesting information you've shared. Thank you so much for being part of today's podcast series. I am sure we'll be in touch to do another one because I think there's we've just scratched the surface on the sort of mm-hmm. things we can talk about. But for today, thank you very much for attending and everyone who listened to the podcast today, appreciate your time and, and look forward to the next in the series. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us, and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand-Based TV.